Well, welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. As you may hear in the background, we have a... Um, oh, that's Pearl. That's Pearl putting the um, thing back on the microphone. Spongy thing, um, as I call it. So, um, <laughs> I'm having to do this like this as I did last time because that, there simply is no time. There is no time... We, we have the most insane uh, weekend and, and, and lives, even if it was just, even if things were slightly quiet, I'd probably still have to do this. And besides, I know the, the next time I'm going to get to record this, it's going to be like midnight on Sunday or something. And I'm just going to say to you, I'm sorry, I haven't done the podcast again. So I just thought, no, I'll put it out, do it. So it's B. Dolan this week. I'm super excited. Um, yeah, he's definitely one of those sort of archetypal kind of like solid, no-nonsense uh, guys who, who, who brings out really intense music to, he, from all across the, uh, I don't know, the genres. He brings them all together so brilliantly. I absolutely love the power of his music. And the message is the most important thing in his music. It's so vital and inspiring and to get into his music to be offered this chance to interview him was a was a chance to really get into to his sound and his music and how he's developed it over the years so i do hope you really get something from it and i hope you enjoy it because he's yeah he's not just in music he does you know political activism as well and as we approach that vital day in american history oh my god well we'll see won't we what happens there but we touch on a bit of that and, and also his work within the uh, with the community with with kids and what have you so it's a good egg i think that's what i'm trying to get towards he's a good egg right so anyway um have you had a chance to <laughs> to listen to that song thanks for a few of you um asking for it i've had like uh, quite a quite a few of you now email me which is super um i don't know like flattering really for a, a copy emailing me, emailing me for a copy of there goes the summer a song that i produced with my friend tim uh, and um yeah it's just a bit of pop fun if you go back to the previous episode of the show it's there for you to listen to or as i've said if you want a copy just email me the limehouse podcast at gmail.com alright then uh, maybe I'll speak to you on Twitter at LimehousePod or maybe I'll just see you on Instagram you know either way no fuss whatever and uh, yeah look after yourselves I hope you have a, a good weekend or you've had a good weekend I hope you had a good week I hope you're going to have a good week uh, and remember some days are diamonds some days are rocks okay look after yourselves bye bye Hey man, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. How are you? Chilling. I, I did, look just FYI. This is the first time I've ever had to do a, a podcast topless. Okay, it Hi. is fucking it's hot. hot. Okay, so summer. Oh my god, it's insane. <laughs> it's currently thirty-four point four degrees in this room. It means nothing to me. I'm in America, where we measure things correctly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What is that in? What is that in real money? That is like ninety-four degrees, ninety-five or something. Yeah, it's oiling, oh. on the sidewalk type. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you've got a fan on. What's it like yeah. with you? What's it like Pretty with you? Here. Yeah, it's like an air quality alert day. 
It's uh, 90s. Mm. Yeah. Let me check my yeah. phone. I don't know what's happening outside. I keep it I, a I hate. <laughs> I Yeah, I hate. Oh, we were just talking about aircon and how, like, basically no one in England really has it in the UK. Right. Right. But like it's stupid now. It's we've got with the global warming and these erratic summers, you know. Yeah, yeah. I question what the better way to go is. I see like the U.S. does it one way, which is the U.S. just like piles on more and more air conditioning, cooling systems. Like I've been in Vegas when it's 110 degrees and looked up at like a row, like a whole hotel with just ACs sticking out of every room, yeah. and just been like, we can't continue like this. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's know. exactly. We'll, we'll catch up one day um, in a bad way, in a bad sense. Yeah. Like everyone, the whole world will be, it'll just be one. I was just listening to um, PM on Radio 4, which is basically kind of like a news summary program with a bit of, oh, you, I don't know, it's a bit quirkier, so to speak. Right. And they were talking about like the east versus the west coast of the antarctic melting and which is worse and which isn't worse you know not so bad and if the west starts melting then we're in real shit antarctica whatever it is and um yeah. i was like okay oh boy yeah, yeah. sitting in an air con air conditioned car like you know yeah yeah it's interesting times rapidly evolving situation for sure yeah yeah but how are you doing man how i mean broad question how i mean how's how's lockdown been uh, it's been interesting. I don't know if you can hear my cat. She's got I, a, she's I, got a different perspective. I might, you might hear my daughter in a minute. She's she's right. it's close to bedtime, so she always get, gets quite cranky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's been you know a lot of time in this room here. I've been figuring out like Patreon, Twitch, a bunch of you know like at the point that the pandemic hit, I canceled pretty much a year's worth of touring that I had planned, um, and the Patreon twitch discord server thing had all been on the back burner of like oh these are things that would be cool to develop along the way like maybe yeah. we'll just like slowly roll out a little patreon thing so when all the tour dates got canceled it would it became clear that it was like oh well we have to shift to doing this pretty much full time but also all the time usually spent on tour preparation and remixing old songs new set lists rehearsing uh, talking to booking agents, all that time was gone and mm. pretty much off the table. So I just kind of like shifted the workload real quickly and dove into the Patreon, Discord, Twitch thing heavy, <laughs> you know, 20, you know, uh, yeah, like four days a week at least, uh, if not more. Yeah. And yeah, it's been going well. So it's just been a learning curve and I've been like learning things live in front of people, but it's been fun. And the Patreon thing has been a cool way to like stay in touch with people get off Facebook, create a little like online community and weekly streaming events and that type of shit. It's been active, like super busy. Do you think that's what it is? This is essentially just one, I mean, when you take away the sadistic, horrible side of this, it's one giant, massive learning curve to the human race of how incredibly good we are at um, evolving, like necessity is the mother of all invention. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it feels like one of those like adapt or die kind of times and that we're going to mark time like before the pandemic and after the pandemic and so yeah in that transition time it's just like okay what's the next shit what's the new thing yeah what do we got to do yeah. man i was like so i've been listening to 
as much as your of much of your work as as humanly possible whilst I work outside as a gardener. So I'm a gardener. That's my full time job. Word. And I I get so into music that like specifically like hip hop or like anything that has intense lyrical content that's that requires attention to the yeah. point where I get really anxious, man. When I was listening to like the failure. Jesus yeah. Christ, that yeah, is, heavy... I w- man, it's heavy. I was not prepared for how heavy that was going to be, but in a really cool way. And like, also I was thinking, what is your next project that's going to come out with the similar kind of poetic, like psychosis intro? Do you know what I mean? Because based around China, America's re- like a reaction to, to China, the COVID situation, the, the, Black Lives Matter, everything. It's like insane. You must be like going off on one man in your head about this. Part of yeah, part of it is is very strange because yeah, the failure which you mentioned is the first record I ever put it out in 2008. And even before that, I released a demo. That was how I got signed to Strange Famous. I originally gave that to Sage Francis in like a empty jewel case with no writing on it. I was pretty sure it was just going to be so experimental and weird that no one was ever going to commercially want it. So yeah. I was just fuck it. I'm just gonna make it. So I made a hundred copies, and one of them I gave to Sage, and he was like, "I would put this out on my label," and that was the record that I made, really just purely with no consideration of audience or anything. That was just my like, if I only get to make one record, I purely just download my brain onto a compact disc. Like, what would it be? And that's what it is. And that, and so that record is nothing like the rest of my catalog, almost because after that. It became, yeah. I started just following different threads in different directions. Um, but yeah, the streaming thing has kind of led me back to it in a strange way because it requires a lot of, and it's funny, like that that record is a concept record where I'm just alone in a room uh, going through my old material with like a robot computer companion voice and there's like interludes and it's uh, kind of weirdly performative and theatrical and there's spoken word and hip hop, um, there's a lot going on in that record, which I, you know, like any one thread became like another record at a certain point, but that was just everything at once, you know? Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, currently, uh, the, I mean, the next thing I'm releasing is a fully instrumental record. I scored a movie called vault and that's going to come out in the fall. Um, yeah. but in terms of what I've been writing, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, kind of everywhere with that. I have been more in like a spoken word kind of lane because some of the returning to personal stuff after the Epic Beard Men project for the past three years, it's time now to dig a little yeah. deeper into the dirt. Damn, Epic Beard that's Man right. Sorry? You're an Epic Beard Men fan. Man, I've, I, do you know, I'm, I'm going to hold my hands up. I listen to everything um, in terms of, and I have absolutely no fucking idea. I literally just like press play on a playlist that I've made of your stuff, and right. I'm like, oh okay, that's that's that. You've done so fucking much. How do I? I was also like aware of like maybe I've bitten off more than I can chew here because it's like, you've you've done so much. It's insane. Like if you just start on the music, that's one thing. Then you've got the politics. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh my god, this long, is. We need like. Yeah. Fuck yeah. But it's like I want to start more like from when you were a kid or what have you. By the way, we're kind of like the same age. I think you're exactly the same birthday as my brother-in-law and we're you're like 39 now, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm My 38, th- soon to be 39. Um, and so we're kind of like... It was quite cool to learn that, actually, because like being 80s babies and in and around the same era and the different paths that we will take, it's kind of crazy. Obviously, you being in America, a different continent changes a lot. Um, but like, where, when was it like you began your journey musically? Should we start with the music or was the activism always in line with that? Uh I think that they, they, it all kind of happened at the same time and it all kind of, I trace a lot of it back to, if you want to go way back to when I was a kid, the Do it, first, yeah. first memory I have is my grandfather had the same name as me. And so my parents took me to visit his grave because he died before I was born and I was four or five years old and they took me to see a tombstone and I looked down and my name was on it and I freaked out and I thought that they had taken to show me when they had shown me where they were going to put me when I died. And uh, oh, like, don't fuck around anymore because this is what's going to fucking happen to you. Yeah. And what's crazy is that's the earliest memory I can recall. Like, that's it feels like that's when the computer like came online. Like, and uh, so I was a very intense kid. People told me I was like never young and uh, I was very into a lot of strange things. I was really into books. I got very into horror, <laughs> the horror genre. Sweet. And uh, yeah. read a lot of Stephen King. Oh, and I, I think that kind of like gave me a certain worldview maybe. And then when Michael Jackson's Thriller came out and it was like zombie horror shit and funky, I was probably, I don't, I don't know, I can't do the math, but I was, I was younger than 10 for sure. So... Yeah. That was the point. That was the first music that made me, you know, like I learned all the words. I was obsessed with it. I played it over and over again. My grandmother sewed me a white sequin glove and I like learned to move off. <laughs> and yeah. I, think, I think Michael Jackson's music probably like planted the seed that then later led me to like around like middle school time to just like once I could get to a, a record store to look for hip hop and blues music and funk and to hear things that were familiar and jazz to hear all that, which was, is in Michael Jackson's music through Quincy Jones and all the musicians on those records. Um, and so that was where the, my musical taste sort of started. Um, and then when I was around 12, I heard the diary by Scarface and which spoke really somehow directly <laughs> to my 12-year-old angst. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and oh that was God. what made me want to write raps. And that's when I started writing raps, when I was 12. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I always knew what I wanted to do. When I, By the time I turned 18, I moved to New York because all my favorite rappers came from there. And this is kind of pre-internet, year 2000. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I started performing for the first time at the New Yorkian. Um fell into the spoken word scene and then wrote things like that and you know just kind of but at various points i had encounters with deaf jam when they were doing their deaf poetry jam thing when i was in new york city and that was what i kind of had thought i would have gone to new york to find you know you get Mm -hmm. on stage in new york city and rap and someone discovers you and it's deaf jam and when i was in the room i realized like they don't want to hear about politics they really, at the time, really just wanted another Eminem. 
they were like, ah, you're kind of a crazy white boy and you can rap fast. Like, can you okay. do more, like, less on the politics shit, more on the I'm crazy type, <laughs> you know? Like, right. Yeah, I was like, man, yeah. fuck this. Like, so I left that, that function and was like, it's never going to work for me. Like, I, I was 18. I couldn't make sense of anything. I was homeless, living on friends' couches and shit. And I couldn't understand who was a producer, who was a manager, how to, mm. you know, work these relationships. So I just got a laptop and a drum machine. And I was just like, I'm just going to have to learn to do everything myself. So yeah. then I was tracking my own vocals and started making beats thin. Uh, eventually, after 9-11, moved back to Providence in 2002, met Sage Francis. And that's where I kind of bumped into everybody Alias and Buddy Peace and uh, Scroobius Pip and everybody that followed there. Scroobius Pip, one of our boys. So it was like, um, was it what were your beats like then? Was it like really like iced tea, old school? Like, no, I was, was very like literally. I was into Outcast a lot. I was, okay, okay. I was weirdly. I was in New York around 2000. I was listening like raucous records was really on top at that time. So like most deaf black star, those records, Farrell Monch. I was a huge Farrell Monch fan. And then like my shit prior to that had been like Wu-Tang bootcamp click and that type of, so I was more like nonfiction and, and like that, like very lyricist lounge, lyric heavy backpacker era shit. Yeah. At the same time I, I was really paying attention to outcast sonically. And I was like, yo, Dungeon Family is fucking crazy. Those synthesizers, those live pianos. I was like, that shit. And the distortion on drum, you know, the distortion I heard them using, I was into that. And so that, my early, my early beats, also based on a Method Man tape I had, the Tikal tape was one of my yeah. first hip hop records. And I had it on a dubbed cassette that someone lent me. And so the shitty beat quality was further degraded like the sp12 you know like early <laughs> then further degraded by like maxell 90 getting like worn out played a thousand times so my original blueprint was just like distortion without understanding why like my early demos just had distortion on everything <laughs> yeah 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 because you're like young you're not there's a bit of naivety in there right and it's and, and distortion to anyone when you're like young is like fuck yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> when you like, did the, the static distorted in, on zoom and it was cool oh okay excellent so yeah i'm glad the static's good for something so like <laughs> where like um where do you think it came from then? Like, cause, uh, you know, I, I'm from like the world of rock and, uh, I don't know, I suppose music in general, but I mean, like, where does it kind of, um, where does like the attraction, the appeal to like hip hop come from? Is that, is that like, um, your like upbringing, your, like this, your surroundings and within which you lived, were you surrounded more by like rock and you rebelled? Were you surrounded by folk and you rebelled? And it was like, no man, I'm going hip hop or what? Yeah, no, I was surrounded by heavy metal in the eighties yeah. in new England. That was what the older kids were into and what everyone like, you know, the like Slayer, Megadeth, Metallica, all that shit yeah. was around. Yeah. Um, and to hear hip hop, you really had like a couple, like there was a station at the bottom of the dial you could get uh, from Boston because we're kind of situated right in between Boston and New York. So, okay. and then where'd, when you, went, where'd you grow up? Sorry. <clears throat> I grew up in Esmond, Rhode Island, which is like okay. 
outskirts of Providence, there was a big warehouse there where my dad worked. So we were like 10 minutes from Providence, uh, weird little area. Um, And then went to school in Providence and where I would get like mixtapes. Around that time, it was like DJ Clue mixtapes. A couple people had them and would trade them at school. And so that, you know, you get what you could get your hands on and you just play the shit out of it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And when I think about... I do because I do think about what was the attraction. Like, I mean, my parents were working class. I definitely saw like lots of arguments about money, and I understood somehow in this vague way that like there was life or death consequences to certain shit. And you know, like what was on TV wasn't really reflective, and what was on like pop radio wasn't really reflective of how life was. Yeah, absolutely. And when I when I heard that Scarface tape, even though like ninety percent of it is gangster rap, Scarface just has these ill like de- depression or, or or like just <laughs> street depression type bars sometimes. Where he, I remember the one where he was just like, "Life has no meaning. We were all <laughs> born to die, so no screaming." You know, and it was like this right. little shit like that, and I'd be like, "Whoa, yeah!" Like that's. This, you know, this is talking about real shit. There's no, there's no like makeup on this. This is real. Mm, and so I yeah. think, um, yeah, maybe like you know the anger or the angst kind of attracted me. But then, over time, other acts like Gangstar straight up like educated me, like really taught me how to be a man and be accountable and be and handle business and shit like that. Like hip hop became so much more once I entered the culture. You know, it raised me to a degree. I mean, because that, that, that's quite interesting, man, because I, I feel um, you don't get that in elements of mainstream FM rock. I mean, do you get did you get that when you were growing up? Because metal was just like, oh, Jesus, it's not there's no depth in like fucking early, early nine, well, early 90s metal. But then yeah. fast forward to like Limp Bizkit and sh- Jesus yeah, Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just Papa Roach and all that garbage like that's what kind of like i couldn't get anything from that but i was i was so into into it because there was fuck all else but i say there was fuck all else there wasn't i was just being lazy so for me like it was like bands like the strokes and stuff like that when they kind of erupted but then again you're not getting an awful like great cut through lyrics from that like hip-hop's way there's way more like room for people like yourself who really want to try and drill right down Okay, folk music's like that as well. I'd, I'd say that folk's pretty, pretty. Yeah, every genre that. has but, little space for it, but yeah, hip hop just due to the, the the lyricism and its particular how it's particularly situated within black culture where it comes mm. from, kind of has has created a tradition of like, yeah, there's something about like community leadership within hip hop that you know from Chuck D to KRS, to people that really like speak for a wider community, but, and also like rock parties. Um, that is a component of it in rap music for sure. I mean, and there's, you know, there's Johnny Cash and country, there's, hmm. and there's certainly a punk history of politics. And I've learned, you know, that that's the other place that I've seen and learned from like real DIY communities and people that are really handling their own shit at shows with 3,000 kids and no security guards. Right. <laughs> yeah. God, Jesus Christ, uh, that yeah, sounds so, amazing. Yeah, so people are really living politics within lots of various forms of music on various continents. But Yeah, uh, 
for sure. And he Man, practiced like, coffee to a lot of those places. Yeah, because yeah. when I was growing up, um, I was like, I was at private school and it was fucking hilarious, man. Like all these white boys. Oh, hello. I, I'm, I'm listening to, uh, <laughs> I'm listening to Snoop Dogg. It's really rather wonderful. <laughs> you know, come, that just turned me off hip hop so fucking much because I was like, no. these guys, these guys are gangster raps talking about really fucking dark shit. And, like, your daddy's coming and picking him up in a fucking Jaguar, man. Like, stop talking about hip-hop. And, and I, yeah. that was a really bad reaction to it. And later in life, I'm sort of, you know, settling in a little bit more. And the Beastie Boys definitely got me in on that. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's so funny. Do you think you have to be, like, a hard... Like, you have to have the hard background to be able to start, start up a... I don't know. Start yourself on that track, hip-hop, whatever. Uh, it's a tough one. The the UK's the, the the hip hop that made it over to the UK is always interesting to me. And I kind of since I've been touring over there, have learned more about who made it over and who kind of didn't. And I think just some some mega stars like you mentioned, Snoop did, and then a couple acts like De La Soul. Seen I was going to say like, De La Soul, really, yeah, big time. Yeah, or yeah. like uh, Grandmaster Flash. I still see torn. It's interesting because like Europe and UK can be a great home for for like legends who are not properly respected in America can can kill it out there. Um, but then, yeah, there are like big gaps, especially in what underground or indie culture made it over and what the kind of like the flip side of Snoop was. And like Snoop was the commercial figurehead of that time and era, but behind him were, you know, like dozens and dozens of really great rappers who had a you know i mean the dog pound corrupt exhibit all the you know if you dig into rascast like there's incredible lyricism hieroglyphics freestyle fellowship uh you know lyricism had a whole rebirth in that era um yeah that i don't know who made it over to the uk or who you know so there's there's definitely great shit out there for for years i've been like doing this month this weekly spotify playlist and finding like oh how was i going to do an hour every week but there's there's a lot of music it's, that it, it's just the think. stuff that get yeah the stuff that like you get you, you you miss i mean like that's that that's a that bleeds through a lot with spotify now because there's so much on there right and isn't it there's like a thing where only like two or three percent of it gets listened to or something or streams yeah, i'm sure I, I, which I, which I can totally believe. I'm making up a percentage. I'm going Trump. Um, <laughs> fuck it. Yeah, people are nodding their heads. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah it's two or three percent. The other ninety-eight percent is Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, Jesus. But you, you, what I, um, what I really like, I guess you would appreciate is podcasting, the DIY element, DIY element of, of podcasting, and and because I know you're. Um, you you kind of uh, rebelled against the idea of being on a major, didn't you? Or were you just yeah, felt like right. yeah, because like you felt like that was. I mean, I'm putting words into your mouth or taking them out. I don't know whichever. But um, I'm like I'm I love that because I think a lot of what people do, they see the big fucking record deal coming and they drop their pants and turn around and, and just basically allow them to fuck them really quite hard, uh, innocently, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I art, just... artists are, I mean, artists want to make art and artists yeah. just want to create and have space. And, you know, like everyone wants the dream of, 
of doing this all the time. Once you realize you love it, then it's like, oh, you know, someone you think validation is going to be the key and it's going to unlock it. But it, yeah, it became pretty clear to me, mostly because I, I knew even then when I had those encounters that like a song like Film the Police was going to come. Like I didn't, I hadn't written it yet, but I had been at the police brutality protests and I had the, the intention of like, this is who I was and what I wanted to vocalize. I just didn't know how I was going to vocalize it in the right way or time to say it. But I knew that if I was going to be stifled or I was not going to be able to talk about certain things, it just wasn't going to work. And I was going to feel like a sellout. And like, I'd be, you know, I was just like, I know I can't do that. Or I'm, that's not for me. So therefore, this other path, which I originally thought was making everything myself and never selling it, <laughs> not being commercially <laughs> viable, and just you know, because I was in, I was fine with that. I was also, I was of two minds coming out of New York. I was as committed to activism as I was to art, and I really wasn't convinced that art was going to be the best way to make an impact. So I was like, purely on some pure creativity like i can make this cd seal it in a concrete block and leave it in a field somewhere i don't care if anyone buys it or hears it i right. made it i wanted to make yeah. it um and that's the shit i was on at that time a lot of people feel differently at the beginning stages of their career and are just trying to get on and trying to and yeah they get signed up for horrible situations that they yeah and it became clear that how little control i was going to have that was the other thing I realized, like all these people are going to make all the decisions and you're just going to get told where to go and what to, which camera to face and what to say. Um, and so I knew that the second they want to take that away from you, you no longer have a platform and you're no longer anybody like that. And so that's what happens with all these disposable pop acts. They just like swap them out for a new one like employees that get too built up in the pay grade and yeah. it's like suck, oh, we gotta fire, suck, retire suck them. that dick vanilla suck Hire. it suck yeah he gets he's touchy about vanilla ice it sucks satan's <laughs> cock um yeah <laughs> bill hicks right bill hicks yeah Shout yeah to bill hicks. yeah oh my god yeah so good i mean like I like I love the analogy you used there, man. Like putting a CD into a into a, a cement box and sticking it under the ground and just being like, "Fuck, it, I made it. I don't give a shit." You know, I've, I've made it, and uh, it's not going to kill me if 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 the world or money rather doesn't come to me or what have you. Uh, that's that's you've got that in your heart, right? Yeah, because I never fantasized that I could make the most avant-garde weird shit that I wanted, and it would do vanilla ice units like it was it was it was like okay this is going to be far less commercially viable clearly yeah. and so i constantly am, in, am meeting people who are like oh i can't believe you, you know you don't have more fans i was like i can have you listened to my albums <laughs> like, this shit is not for everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah like that this many people show up on a continuous basis for this like this is my deepest darkest shit with no filter and it you know it, i took some convincing that there you know people were gonna buy tickets for that but they do and i'm thankful when, when, when you talk about like deepest darkest shit man are you like talking about like uh mental health there or like are you just talking about just the struggles with life in general let alone mental health well it's just it you know that that place of like if i make it and put it in a concrete block it that's i've done the job that's mm. that's a 
mental place that allows your art and your creativity to come from you in an honest way without being beholden. Because as an artist, the second you start to think about like, oh, well, that song did well, so I should make another song like that song. Mm -hmm. You're starting to like let in outside like commercial business influences into this space that for me was was really like sacred. It was a place to basically converse with myself and learn things and like, you know, roll shit over and come out with a conclusion uh, and grow and all that shit. It's, it's really a conversation with myself that I'm trying to have in my music and my art. Sometimes that's a musical thing. Sometimes that's an emotional thing or a political thing or whatever. Um, but to stay close to that is to like try and box out the commercial shit, like let that be in another room. When the thing yeah. is done, then you bring it over into that room and you're like, okay, how do we sell this? Okay. God, that's a fucking complex. That's really tricky though. You, you make that sound, uh, I'll play devil's advocate. You maybe sound, you make that sound so easy. I've, I've written a bit. I've, I've done loads of writing and of, of, of like rock music and what have you, but I'd never, I would love to be able to do the whole, right, I want to make this track sound like, I don't know, Joy Division or what have you, or a stripped-down raw shit version of Joy Division, but then bring it into the studio and then make it really um, uh, sellable. I don't know, fucking commercial, rather. Uh, but retain that level of uh, intensity, that, uh, that really nuanced individuality. I don't think I could do that, but I think that's what that's where you are that's why you're so you know that's why you are who you are because you're so fucking good at that <laughs> thank you I, I i try and keep doing something that i haven't done before also that there's some element of it that's new or challenging um with each project because that forces me to be to have my full attention on it because i don't know what i'm doing like the point at which i feel like we're just like reproducing something that we already do really well is the point at which like you can lose focus and so yeah there's usually yeah. some new element going on or either yeah. an idea about music or an idea about lyrics or an idea about concept or something new yeah would it be like, like this is a really random um change of subject a bit because i'm aware we only have like an hour but i really really want to because this po this podcast used to be uh, very political um I mean, only a few freaking months ago, it changed to be more like uh, musical and just talking to people from like TV, film or what have you. Um, and I know there are still people that I've dragged with me and I've definitely <laughs> lost. A f I've definitely lost a few <laughs> listeners. That's for damn sure. I had a really random situation. I was um, driving in a car with my mate and another guy who were playing a sports. Uh, do you know what? Do you know what cricket is? The UK, the, the cricket thing. I know what it looks like. You know what it looks like. Right, that's fine. We can go with that. You know what it looks like. It's like uh, it's like baseball. But um, yeah. slight, slightly more bloody dignified, I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, he turns you in the back seat and he goes, and I start talking about podcasts, this podcast. And he goes, oh, the Limehouse podcast. I used to listen to that. Oh, what like fuck there's like a fan i've met a fucking fan this is so random and he's using past tense so that was embarrassing used to <laughs> listen to great to know i've taken someone with me not but um yeah so the polit uh, the political aspect of it is really interesting to me like where what was the first like for me it was iraq i'm guessing you maybe it was 9 11 um i know you've spoken about that before um you were like literally you were 
fucking living what a mile or two from from the world trade center went yeah i was working yeah. a mile or two away i was meant to be in work that day uh, took the day off and woke up yeah saw it on tv i was living in the bronx and yeah, yeah. um yeah that was probably the the moment that radicalized me in terms of activism like i must now do something i must now always be doing something um because i was 18 and so it was kind of that time in life too uh i had been reading a lot as a kid and i had listened like i said to chuck d and krs and followed those threads to books and research and i've been weirdly obsessed with the assassination of jfk at one point so i was you've got to be yeah yeah i was paying attention and uh by the time i got to new york I, like i said i was attending protests and i was seeing rappers at protests the first protest i ever went was uh against the nypd after amadou diallo had been shot 41 times and most yeah. death was there on a megaphone we marched uh, to city hall and that was the start of me attending protests and so i knew it was going to be somehow in the music but i didn't want to just do kind of like cheap bumper sticker art because I had been aware that, you know, lots of slam poets and is a kind of familiar hack device to kind of just get up and do these like vague statements we can all agree with. At the time it was fuck Bush because it was 2000 era. Um, and everyone feels good and everyone buys a t-shirt and then you leave and no one's really done anything. No one's really impacted. Yeah. And there was a lot of buying the revolution like being a consumer of revolution like i like this look on me but how many hours are you really devoting to some type of nonprofit or community service or what are you doing yeah. exactly um so that was very fashionable at the time and so i really resisted making political music for a little while and then when i finally did it was super abrasive performance art like the bombs away routine which is on youtube and like that a lot of people became aware of me as a right-wing pro-war clown heckling sage francis shows and taking pies to the face about the iraq war and uh and that was kind of like post slam poetry i was just doing like really like borderline gg allen <laughs> political theater just trying to shock the shit out of people right absolutely and, like wake them up um, and then, right age. yeah, and then later, um, film the police came along because of I had been paying attention to cop watch activism and training people to film police in communities where they continually are violent. And Oscar Grant had been murdered by um, uh, San Francisco Transit Police, and a lot of people had caught it on their cell phones, and it was going viral. And a friend just happened to be like, an activist friend happened to be like, you should make a song called uh, Film the Police Over the Fuck the Police Beat. And I was like, yeah, we should. We did. That was like 2011. And it just kind of became a hashtag that went viral for a minute. Um, and that, and from there, lots of things snowballed. Yeah. Um, also in 2005, we started the website nomore.org and started yeah. profiling companies, which is yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah, that, this, this is what I'm fucking saying. Like oh, and there's another thing, and there's another thing. Oh my god, it's un it's unbelievable. But <laughs> I think it's just, I tried right, to ask man. Them, I, I have someone trying to write my bio right now, and I was like, I'm sorry. I don't, you know, I was I passed like she was like, let me know anything you think should go in the bio. I was like, here, I can't make any sense of this. The, <laughs> I, no one on the internet probably will. How do you explain this at this point? Like yeah. 20 years of doing whatever the fuck, 
you know. <laughs> oh God, yeah. I mean, it's and especially with political activism because you meet so many people, and and different stuff gets blurred into one, you know. And you're bonding, and oh my God, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had that with um, Brexit over here, um, doing doing a podcast on it, and then also obviously doing quite a lot of activism. My activism was just basically podcasting, which does sound very like armchair political like easy but fuck me it wasn't easy jesus christ it was exhausting probably why i stopped doing it which is really bad to say to you to admit that to you sounds very bad okay i mean burnout is an important part of being an activist and and like what i came to learn over time is that um that figuring out where you fit in as an activist is as as much a personal journey as figuring out where you fit in as an artist and what your voice is and with being with activism is figuring out what you can contribute continually working on yourself you know because you're also never fully perfect or fully you know it's important to every occasionally like center yourself and be like what am i doing that is similar to donald trump <laughs> like what, <laughs> what, what behaviors do i have like how am i correlated to what I don't yeah. like in the world and what are my selfish tendencies. So there's personal work. There's, there's, I, you know, spent time in a youth program um, and, and it was like really enriching, satisfying work um, with at-risk kids in an underserved community where it was like a minimum security prison. And they would just like send these kids to hang out with me and like freestyle and write poems for part of their day. And I'd worked there for a period of time before I started touring and that was great work, but I learned that it was just like too heart wrenching and it was too. And when the funding got pulled and I, I, I realized like, oh, you're forever going to be at the mercy of the nonprofit system and grants. I don't know if what correlates in the UK, but, you know, social workers, that's a yeah. hell of a job that teachers, that's a hell of a job. Like um, and, and a critical job, the, an important job. There's crises everywhere you look for workers rights and human rights and the environment everything's happening at once so yeah i i just learned like oh you you're gonna burn out if you do this so don't mm. do that what else can you do you know and it's been a process of that for sure yeah no that sounds amazing what like uh, can you like speak on any like experiences you had working with with the kids like anything you know where you saw some like real growth from a kid who was like almost like abandoned because that's basically what we're talking about here is kids are abandoned and then, yeah. then it's like you're just trying to grow some color some some flap some just fucking i would say because i'm a gardener man like you see like scrubland right and you see like one flower growing out of it it's so amazing it pulls your eye so much you see them by the train track sometimes uh, a plant called a budlier man they grow in in the uk and crazy probably do in the states i don't know but you yeah. see them and it's absolutely stunning they're called the butterfly um shrubs and the butterflies are attracted to them i mean do you ever get like and that's a wonky analogy for you right there and it's kind of fucked the um train of thought we're both on but that's that's the way that's the way life is right but um yeah do you have any of those kind of like stories where you're like you know it kept you in it for a bit longer Oh, yeah. I mean, one of them became a song called Dear Lefty. That's on House of Bees, Volume 1. One of those interactions with one of those kids in particular. But they were all special. I mean, um, you know, I and it was hugely... That's like every moment was impactful because uh, 
Yeah, I mean, working with underserved kids is just, uh, I mean, you're, you're filling an obvious void. Obviously, like kids at developmentally important ages are just looking for parental figures. So right there, like, you, it, you represent whatever that means. And if that means they want to, like, fight and throw a trash can at you, then that's what you deal with that day. If that means that yeah. you can kick it with them and just, like, write the rap and it's, they write a, a sex rap that is way too mature for their age, but you just gotta like act like it's cool and just like, oh yeah, like analyze it like poetry. Just not be, not react, you know? And um, there were days when I would like sit with, I sat with a kid one day and he just like didn't, he wrote like a couple like dirty raps on one side of the paper and then like flipped the other side over wrote some and i didn't read it until he left and what he had written on the other side of the paper was i am not a bad person and it was like shit like that would just like crush me and be like oh. um so it's work and it's work like and when you're working that closely with kids who are that raw emotionally and you really are trying to be present for them that's what i mean like it that's that's like the sort of some of the hardest work i've ever done but it, it was like immediately gratifying on a personal level but it's also like I talked to some of those teachers who are like, if you don't cry every night when you go home, you're not doing the job right. So it's like, that's a special person that can do that. That man, like, how do you do that? There's a really great song I really wanted to, it, I'll forward it to you. Uh, it's by a band called Glass Vegas. Um, it's called Geraldine. And I heard it at the top of um, lockdown. And I was like, there's this beautiful, it's just a beautiful song, man. And it, yeah, it speaks to your point about how you how these people manage to do what they do like year after year year on year like and not switch off and not become a robot to it essential workers for real yeah yeah definitely so like what the fuck is going on in the states at the moment man like what <laughs> seriously because like i just every it's either like i it just it i mean obviously what does it look like it, well, if you listen to Mark Maron, then it, we are in the apocalypse and we're all going to die. Yeah. You know, um, bless him. I mean, it's a yeah. safe bet. It's a 50-50 yeah. bet. I don't know. You know. What's it, was it, was it feel like for you at the moment with, um, after, I mean, COVID, then BLM and, and um, Trump being a, what he is, I mean, what he's fucking creating out there. What's it yeah. like living in, I know it's a broad question, man, but I've just... What's it like being in the States? What's it like living in that? I mean, the, you know, so we talked about my first record being like a set in a fallout shelter at the end of the world. So, I mean, it's what it's been like is just a really slow motion oncoming steam train. <laughs> and you're just patiently sitting on the tracks saying to everyone around you, that's a steam train coming around the bend. That's a steam train about 60 yards away. And uh, so it, in one way, it's felt like watching everyone around me suddenly like get on my level. And so that that's the biggest adjustment. It's not a huge paradigm shift for me. It's more just like I can look at every stranger on the street and now they are in the mind state that I've been in since 2008 in some right. ways. Um, I've not been that surprised by anything that's happened. Um, so, uh, and, you know, for many, for many years, uh, I would speak with people who were really conscious and really watching and really paying attention to the erosion of civil liberties and 
uh, consolidation of corporate control and political influence over democracy and all these like creeping threats. And even in 2011, the film, the police says like fascism's coming to the USA. Like, and that's pre Trump. That's pre all that shit. Like, so it's not like you couldn't have listened to any rap music, any dead yeah. Perez, any, you know, and like known what was up. Um, it's just that people chose to believe like, oh, well, that's over there, though. That's to those, that's happening to those people. That won't happen to me. And I mean, from Hurricane Katrina, that where like the private military contractors were in New Orleans, it, like deputized immediately, um, firing off shots at civilians and not having to file police reports. These are like Blackwater contractors that were trained in urban combat in the Middle East and have now come home to America. And, Fuck. Like, you know, we've got tons of guns. We've got um, a corporate Goldman Sachs takeover of the White House. They've basically just like installed themselves and the, just taken the mask off uh, to where it's not, you know, the old way was that Goldman Sachs would write the um, law and then give it to the senator that they bought and the senator would pass it. And now, in many cases, they just get rid of the senator. They're just like, yeah, oh, we'll just put the Goldman Sachs guy right there now. You know, and Donald Trump has sort of like taken, you know, uh, taken the brakes off and just let capitalism go wild. Um, so, and uh, <laughs> this happens to coincide with a global pandemic, which is almost built perfectly to illustrate all the failings of global capitalism as it currently exists in that yeah. there's like there's no profitability in taking care of people and making sure that they live um that's just oh, something that the government might have to do for people <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we were like when our chancellor came out and delivered this like budget to try and keep this country afloat it's the most un conservative tory thing we've ever heard of it was i mean it's it's not enough we don't know where it's enough it's it, everything's going tits up at the moment like but it's it's just we are trying to be we're trying to fix this problem through the uh, through the eyes through well the lens that we have which is trump or boris johnson and those fucking neanderthalic insane asylum sort of not insane asylum that's too far well no no it's not trump is i'm being kinder to boris no, no, i think I, 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 I mean they thought hitler was insane for a long time and then they, yeah they realized like oh actually you had a pretty calculated plan um it feels like insanity but <clears throat> from my perspective it's actually been remarkably coordinated and similar in hmm. each country and I was traveling the world on tour and through through a bunch of the years where this stuff was becoming prevalent in Europe and noticed it in like a couple Nordic countries where it's like, oh, you had a rally with Nazis, really? And then that, in that same year, there was a UKIP in the UK where they were just like a couple assholes on a talk show and everyone was laughing at them and five or six guys in the square. And, um, yeah. and, so, and then at the end of that tour was in Greece where austerity had come a little sooner uh, due to their financial crisis. And they were like block by block graffiti with swastikas or Antifa. And that was where I first encountered anti-fascist kids who were telling me like, no, we're fighting Nazis on the street. Like it's really real here. And mm -hmm. so I watched, you know, through a couple years and, but just the, the rate at which 
this right wing nationalism spread in the UK and Europe and then in America was just too much. Like it lets I've I've been on a word of mouth hand to hand campaign in front of rooms of 600 to 300 kids and you know like in city to city i know how long it takes to build a following in a grassroots organization like yeah um thousands of people were just in the streets demonstrating all of a sudden it was like this is a massive platform someone's bought a lot of facebook ads someone's really like targeted or cambridge analytica absolutely like the same millionaires are behind a lot of this shit and funding a lot of this shit. Steve Bannon, after he elected Trump, he went immediately right off to Europe to go do it somewhere else. So yeah. a lot of the same figures are backing this and obviously have a clear agenda in closing down borders, protecting wealth, and letting lots and lots of people die right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, and we, yeah, but I mean, it's it's we were having that today in the headlines that we had 150 people, 150 um, essentially like refugees war from coming over from war-torn syria um and people get the, get their knickers in a twist over that's an expression over here by the way knickers in a twist yeah, it's like a thing but, okay great uh well you you know you know fucking scribius pit man so it's you know uh, <laughs> but you know they they get all freaked out by the whole idea that they haven't what happens if they haven't come from syria what happens if they've come from dude they're fucking dying in the fucking english channel because they've paddled over on it what do you think they're fucking do you think they do this for a holiday they're, they're going to come over and fucking work in sainsbury's these guys these these people get detained you know uh just yeah. their lives get completely fucking they've already been destroyed so they're just trying to fucking recreate something and and and, and now covid another fear factor of what you know what are they going to bring with them oh my god you know nigel farage man he is like fucking his dick is harder than it's ever been before you know it's like because there are people the appetites there it's like you spoke earlier about oh man suddenly there's thousands of people protesting on the streets and there's like these fucking conglomerates with their money behind it and and buying up facebook ads it's like it was already there like the 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 fucking fuel was there it just needed the touch paper for it to just ignite for all these idiots to just start going i've always wanted to follow this or believe in this kind of stuff because I've yeah. never given given five fucking seconds to an actual fact, because it's too difficult. It's too. It, it takes up too much of my time, my intellectual space, whatever I have. And I'm being a bit rude here about people generalizing. Yeah. Well, I, I, no, I think that this time period is exposing the kind of like latent white supremacy mm. that exists in people, and that for a long time people who have sort of been able to wear a socially acceptable veneer of I am a good, compassionate person um, in public are suddenly finding it a lot harder to maintain that facade because, and and this is why I say like the people who are of this consciousness and, and aware that, 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 you know, this global warming shit is not a joke. Like, you know, scientists mm. need to be listened to. Like, you know, we want to continue to survive as a species, like basic shit. Um, important shit things that millions of people have been saying even i mean the war in iraq was one where millions of people were in the streets before it ever started protesting it so there's been like a slow awakening of of consciousness over time and we created a site like no more in 2005 and then in 2008 the financial collapse happened and then occupy wall street happened and then 
killing the police and smartphones and then Black Lives Matter. And then now we're seeing Black Lives Matter protests adopting Occupy tactics. And just more and more people are kind of slowly waking up and being called to mm -hmm. understand like the, your enemy is not the refugee. Your, your enemy, if you're looking at like where the livable world has gone and your happiness and all that shit, it's because every single basic human right you had got commodified and privatized and including your right to clean air, clean water, a living wage, um, just, just basic shit. Um, all yeah. of that has shrunk and the people on top are, have this coordinated messaging campaign to tell you it's because of immigrants. It's because of these people who have literally nothing who are dying in the water trying to get to your country. It's not because of Jeff Bezos. It's not because of Elon Musk. It's not because of the people who make $10 billion a day during this pandemic and pay no taxes and hide their money in offshore tax havens and yeah. rob your country and set up box stores that put all your local mom and pop shop out of business, drain your drinking water, bottle it, sell it somewhere else. <laughs> you know, like, right. The places you live in your world are, it's you live in a fucking catalog. That but is we've allowed that. Else. Yeah. But we have allowed that. Seriously, like I, I, I get, I, part of my podcast anger was like, when it was very, very specifically political, I had to fucking rein back so much going, you're fucking stupid. But you you voted Brexit, and you, I know for a fucking fact that you don't know a goddamn thing about what you're talking about, but you voted Brexit, and you're fucking stupid. But you couldn't say that. You know, people get... Yeah. You can't call people stupid. You can't call them stupid, because it. what does it do? It offends them or something? It's like they need to be offended. They need to be slapped around a bit and woken up before it is too late. Because we're, we, I feel like we're approaching... A, maybe there's five stages left, and we're at stage two. This, if this is stage two out of five, then, my God... You know, it's terrifying. But yeah, I, I don't think I don't think people I mean, people education is an issue that needs to be addressed, certainly. And what we're taught in schools is not the real education we need, certainly. But in terms of who people are these days um, and who these like problematic people are who, who are now kind of like threatening all of our existence, I think they are narcissistic to a point that is is literally a threat to the species at this point. And they got there because of generations of consumerist advertising and behavior. And our, our parents' generation, especially the boomers, grew up, um, you know, womb to the tomb being advertised to have it your way, uh, you know, pay less taxes. Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan were their Reagan, kind of yeah. political awakening. And they are just narcissistic to the point of i will die for my selfish desires and if someone will just tell me that i am better than someone else if someone will tell me that my white skin makes me better than someone else um i will i will die for them <laughs> and so these <laughs> are the last me, rows yeah. of, of capitalist boomer white supremacist bullshit and it's we're fighting the war in the streets now this oh man it. like do you think that's why it's happening like places like portland because they're they're going to be from like white a lot of white folks like with maybe my age maybe younger with like boomer parents baby boomer parents and they're like you're waking up to it and going fuck you know this is on us as well portland's interesting Port portland is a very liberal city uh one of like the true liberal meccas in america um mm. but oregon which is around it is 
also a mecca for right-wing militias. So Interesting. Portland, yeah, Portland <laughs> is like a very hip little city with a lot of white kids, to be fair. But yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's diverse. Like Portland is a like a austin texas or you know it's just kind of one of these an oasis Boise, idaho yeah it's an oasis um and trump i believe chose oregon specifically because he knew that um he'd be dealing with a large number of radical left uh like or antifa kids or anarchists they're in portland for sure they're in seattle san francisco northwest quarter um but also he'd have backing from a lot of right-wing militias like the uh, the Bundy fellas were in Oregon. And, uh, some of like, yeah. yeah, armed standoff types would be riding in to accompany the like uh, badge numbers covered, again, private militia, probably like Blackwater, probably connected to the same people, Eric Prince. And, uh, oh, like proper fucking dystopian shit. Yeah, but Trump chose Portland to, to yeah. try his his Blackwater experiment of uh, crushing protesters. And I'm interested to see if Chicago's next because uh, last night there was another killing and uh, uprising riots in Chicago. So, so I know love to send troops in. Yeah, well, we've heard, we've heard a bit about that. Um, I suppose we have like a left-wing news uh, channel over here, uh, Channel 4, which is pretty good. I, d- I, I think it's it, it's centre-left, it's center whatever, but it, it doesn't... It makes an effort to give people like me good intel as opposed to just go all like the way they do play devil's advocate reasonably well. But it's like it 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 does seem that all those really weird dystopian books, weird, not fucking weird, but like Ray Bradburn or whatever, Fahrenheit 451, those kind of elements that we've all gone. We, you know, we used to get in our soapbox and go, hey, man, it's like fucking all well. It's like 1984, man. It's like no, 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 it isn't. And now it feels like is—is is this like I said earlier, like the stages before? Yeah, it was. You, you, you know, know? It's that we we got there inch by inch, and certain people saw it coming way sooner than others. Yeah, but Portland's yeah. interesting, very because what you spoke of there about how you know if Trump's rolling this shit out to just experiment and see how the rest of the states takes in and, and yeah. law as well, the law, man, like you know, because fundamentally this hopefully will be hopefully we'll be shut down and hopefully in november he'll be fucking see, gone we'll see what this election looks like they're de- definitely doing their best to suppress the vote as much as possible yeah just really quickly what is that what in the hell like the yeah, vote we, like we need, we need the un, <laughs> we need the UN to certify this election man, because it's going to be crooked as shit like uh, i mean i absolutely anticipate like insane stories about long uh voting lines in black districts and democrat in historically democrat districts um the mail-in ballot thing they've already resisted as much as possible even though it's totally possible to certify a ballot by mail and people vote by mail all the time but a mass Mm -hmm. mail-in voting is probably not going to happen thanks to Republican judges in local districts and states uh, just doing as much as they can. And we'll see. It's going to be, it's going to have to be hopefully a historic turnout for mm-hmm. a lackluster center-left candidate, <laughs> Joe uh. Biden, who will hopefully just stay as quiet as possible uh, until then. And no one's going to feel really good about it. Dude, but, have uh, you, do, you, do you ever watch Succession? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
the older brother who's in um, Ferris Bueller's <laughs> Day Off, right? Well, yeah, like yeah, who's, yeah. He, he turns around the end of season one, he's like, I'm going to run for president. <laughs> yeah, that's strong. Like, fuck, man. Like, really, yeah. honestly. We'll work um, on Biden later. Oh, God. I, I you know, but we, we're all, we're in the same. I mean, okay, it's more fiery over in the States at the moment. I, I think it will get worse over here before it gets better. But um, I, I, we have like we have Keir Starmer, um, who I suppose some of us who just are neither far left nor far right just just want just normal shit to go back to normal, like because it was never really normal anyway. I think it's very naive to say like, oh, it was normal. People were fine, man. People were fine before Boris and Brexit. It's like yeah, that's well, I, mental, to be fair, but... before Boris and Brexit and Trump and all that, um, the left dropped the ball for a, a oh, decade God. or more. Oh God, um, like yeah. And neoliberal politics and all that shit was all, you know, backing the same corporations. It was just, you know, and during the years that we were reporting on corporations, we would just watch the money get split down the middle. The insurance companies would go one way, the oil companies would go the other way, and everybody would end up with one, all the, as many candidates as they needed in their back pocket by the end. And that's why state and federal government, uh, government levels are often off limits to citizens. You can't mm-hmm. get at your, um, and I know it's a different, and you guys have a different setup over there with your elections, your MPs and your, yeah. Um, uh, but on a local level, that is where activists have found the most like pull or push and have, you know, people just, and I think now during the pandemic too, people, their focus has to be a little more geographically local. And I'm certainly not traveling as much. I know a lot of people aren't. So it's like, how can we make shit better right around here? What, you know, who do we know that should run? For local office, and a lot of times you can you can pass big laws at a local level that cause big fights. We had a, a town council in California say no box store bigger than X amounts thousand square feet can exist in our town. We don't want you here. And when Walmart tried to come, they said no. We have a city ordinance. And Walmart said, well, you can't because of the Free Trade Act. And they said, well, fight us in court. Take us to court. And so now Walmart is suing a town to. And the town just says, we don't want you. And Walmart says, well, you, you don't have a choice. And now everyone that hears that story has to go like, why doesn't the town have a choice? Why can't they say, well, you know, so these are big fights and questions that you can have on a, a very local level if you just get some like-minded people together in your area. That is uh, insane. That's absolutely fucking insane. Same thing about drinking water, you know, pass a town ordinance. Nobody can come here and mine our drinking water and sell it somewhere else. Our drinking water belongs to the town, Um, which, again, you might start a legal fight over a free trade act. But that's big time activism that just happened from like going around to your neighbors and passing out some pamphlets and flyers. Yeah. God, fucking hell, it's been so awesome talking to you, man. I do get I get the feeling we could probably do like another hour just talking politics. Um, would you be if, I, I reckon you probably won't be but if you're available after the election your election that would be that would be a fucking cool chat <laughs> yeah, I, hope, when, I hope any of, I hope any I, of us are available after the election I hope the internet's still on I think I know, well I don't think it will be and I think Trump will just be on his golden toilet still like clinging to the fucking White House like a <laughs> like a tick sucking up your liberties like oh, a day yeah. at a time Oh, that was nice for me to say that, wasn't it? That was nice. Sorry. I mean, you know, I'm a realist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you got rest. What you got uh, planned for the rest of the day? 
today I have posted my Spotify playlist, so my daily job is done. Tomorrow, like Twitch stream for Patreon supporters. Um, yeah. Wednesday, we have a movie night where we stream a movie through the Discord server, and we talk about it like Mystery Science Theater style. Sweet. Uh, what film? Then, uh, I haven't chosen the film yet this week. Do the, just do the thing. Just do the thing. Just every film. Every uh, It's just the best I, film ever made. I think we we did the thing already. Or did oh, we do okay. the, the blob? We did either the thing or the blob. <sighs> the blob scared the shit out of me. The thing is set in Antarctica, right? Right. Kurt right. Russell. Yes, I tried to do that. And people convinced me that we should watch They Live instead. I haven't seen that. John, John Carpenter, same director. They Live is great. They Live oh. is uh, ra- Rowdy Roddy Piper stars and he's got a magic <laughs> pair of sunglasses that when he puts it on and looks at advertising he sees the word obey it's where the obey oh um, fuck right yeah they live is oh. great i'm gonna check that out for sure oh my god yeah, yeah. like god sweet man okay send well, if you've got send me send me a, send me a thing send me a yeah. thing and i'll send you a thing for that song by that band glass vegas they're from glasgow they're fantastic sounds good cool man thanks so thanks so much for this yeah good talking to you man thanks for the invite yeah no worries thanks to andy as well for setting it up he's such a sweet guy yeah he is he's he's a good guy man yeah cool what have it have a good rest of your very fucking busy day (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll talk to you soon man see you buddy take care peace man bye-bye bye-bye